Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You're listening to the Bleed in the Garden State podcast, presented by Bet Online. Now a word from our friends at Bet Online. We're back at better than ever. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back on to start another football season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. With a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, Bet Online continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 100% welcome bonus. That's double your initial deposit just for signing up. Don't forget to use promo code NFL100. That's NFL100. Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Welcome back to the show. We are back with another episode of the Believe in the Garden State podcast. I am your co-host, Alex Schoen. And Coach Chiano said this week, Rutgers can't take Delaware lightly. So we're echoing that sentiment and we're bringing in the experts. Here to introduce a guy who is big time. He's the host of the Believe in the FCS football podcast, a fellow Millbird High School alumni, Rhode Island football legend, future NFL long snapper, Joe DeLeon. Joe, what's going on, man? How are you? Not much. I, I haven't talked to you in a while, and I, I'm just excited that you, you guys started the show back up again and that within the first few weeks of starting back up, uh, you know, I got the chance to hop back on with you guys and uh, or hop on with you and talk some FCS football. Yeah, man. Well, listen, we had to bring in the experts. You guys know the FCS better than anybody in America. And uh, Rutgers has a tough matchup this week against Delaware. So here to give an in-depth look of this opponent, um, I guess let's get it start. Let's get it started for the beginner who doesn't know the difference between FBS, FCS, FBS, Division 1A, FCS, Division 1 AA. What is the difference? Right. The the big overarching difference is, you know, the, the playoff structure is, is the obvious thing. So FBS, they've changed it so much over the past few years and probably in the next 20 years they're going to be identical which is kind of hilarious but right now the fbs plays for the college football playoff which is a 14 playoff going to be 12 eventually uh, playing for a national championship the remaining teams compete for bowls which you know are always nice but still not really competing for a national championship fcs on the other hand they compete in a 24 team playoff uh and that is for the FCS national championship game. There are no, or there, there's no bowl games that go on for the FCS teams. But the other thing that goes in line with that, there's more scholarships available for FBS teams. Uh, additionally, there are the ability for teams to offer partial scholarships at the FCS level. So you have a lot of guys that are on half scholarships. When I played at the university of Rhode Island, I was on a partial scholarship just because I was a specialist, but that's, that's part of it. And the one comparison that I always make, because we don't really have mid-majors for football, but because there's so many basketball schools, there is that category of schools where it's the, the mid-majors, the, the Big East, the, the A-10. Uh, programs like that is comparative, I think, to the, the FCS. And a lot of those mid-major schools have decent quality FCS football programs. Right. So it's like in basketball or any other sport except for football division one is division one, but in football, FCS one, double a FBS one, a, you mentioned scholarships. I think it's what 85 FBS 63 for, uh, FCS. 
That sounds right. For somebody who claims to be an FCS expert, I should know that exactly, but that I think that sounds right. And, and you'll and you'll see a lot of FCS in term you'll see a lot of FCS schools win recruiting battles against the mid-major 1A schools. Right. That, there's a big advantage, I think, and we're going to see more of this, uh, especially right now during COVID recruiting, which is an absolute mess. Schools that are top of, the, top of the level for FCS programs like your North Dakota States, your South Dakota States, your James Madison's, they're able to beat out these group of five schools in recruiting because they can say, do you really want to go to a group of five school and struggle or do you want to come here and win football games? Or the other thing too, with some of these three-star recruits, you see like Trey Lance was a three-star recruit and we saw what happened with him when he went to North Dakota state, they make the argument of you can go ahead and be a backup at a power five school and not get on the field for three years because they recruited a five-star in the same class, or you can come here, play immediately, put up some film, and then you have a shot to make it to the NFL. North Dakota State has a high success rate right now of putting guys out. And they have a guy that went third overall and a guy that went second overall. So if they're capable of doing it, you know, there's no reason why they, they, they can't out-recruit some of these, these FBS teams. That's the other thing I was going to mention in terms of the NFL. There are a lot of FCS players who get NFL opportunities. And some of those FCS players go on to be Hall of Fame NFL players. Yeah, and I think that people don't really realize when they're watching the NFL, some of these players that they played at FCS programs. And like you said, there's tons of Hall of Famers, too, that have played at FCS programs, especially some of these HBCU programs uh, that, you know, that we see like Walter Payton was an HBCU alum. Um, and, you know, like we've got players in the NFL right now, Darius Leonard, he played at an HBCU We've got guys like Jimmy Garoppolo and Tony Romo. They played at Eastern Illinois. There are a lot of guys that come up from these small programs. Heck, Jerry Rice, Missouri Valley State is where he came from. That is an FCS program as well. Yeah, and, and speaking of Eastern Illinois, my uh, one of my close friends from Syracuse, my freshman year, uh, was at Syracuse before I transferred to Rutgers, um, Mitch Kimball. He went on to play at Eastern Illinois. I don't know if you remember the name. He transferred from Syracuse. So you get a lot of these 1A guys who end up transferring to the FCS level, and the transfer portal, I think, has only enhanced that. Yeah, and one thing I've mentioned on the, the pod so far this year, there is like a, a huge opportunity now for with the transfer portal for some talented guys who couldn't get on the field because of competition or maybe they got into it with the coaching staff or – academics plagued them and they thought if they hopped in the portal they could just transfer to another power five program or they could transfer up or they could just transfer slightly down to a group of five team and they realize that they're competing with so many other guys in the, in the portal that none of those offers come in that they expected so then here comes the fcs schools swooping in and putting these offers out and that's why right now i think probably for the next five years until the transfer portal evens itself out, we're probably going to have like somewhat of like a renaissance for, for talent coming from the FCS. There's a reason why we had six upsets in week one. A lot of teams are getting transfers and they're also being able to recruit some talented guys. It, it's going to, it's going to keep happening. Yeah. And, and you mentioned the upsets. I think there's what eight total so far eight, this season, eight so far. We had the, the big one last week with, with Florida state. That was a fun one. Yeah, and you when you go through the FCS records throughout like the last decade, there's always a handful, if not 
you know, almost double digits every year. So this is something I feel like not enough people really notice. Um, but in terms of the position players, so I've had friends who have transferred up to FBS from FCS. I've had friends who have transferred down and I've asked them, what do you guys think's the, the big difference? Because, you know, I've seen, like you said, a ton of teams win and a ton of teams play close. So these guys are talented. So they've said, you know, the skill position players, it, it's almost the same. There's not a huge difference. It's the interior linemen and the depth. Yeah, I a hundred percent agree with that. And I, I've also had guys that I've played with that transfer. I had one guy in particular who I know who transferred to a division two school and then transferred back to the school that I played at. And he, he shared the same sentiment from that level. That is a hundred percent accurate. There are just so many great athletes at the division one level that there there's not really much of a, a talent gap between most of the middle tier guys, obviously with a five-star recruit, those guys are going to be stupidly talented. There's a re- talented, there's a reason why they, they end up playing so well and they go on to the NFL and all that stuff, but there's really not much of a gap for the skill position players. You could make the argument for quarterback, but running backs, receivers, uh, sometimes corners, linebackers, there's really not that much of a difference, but like you said, there is a massive difference for the offensive linemen. Like if you go watch a division two game, those are basically high school offensive linemen An FCS game. Those kids are bigger. You're going to get some teams that recruit some big dudes like Northern Iowa had Spencer Brown, who was six foot seven. And right now they have Trevor Penning, who's also six foot seven, I believe. But these Alabama type programs or even some smaller SEC programs like in Arkansas or a Mississippi state, they have the ability to recruit the guys that are freakish athletes that are six foot seven, six foot eight, 340 pounds. Like Evan Neal's the, the epitome of that description. They're just able to recruit the better athletes. There's just not a lot of human beings that are that big, which is why we see that the disparity gap in terms of size. Absolutely. And I also think in terms of uh, development, do you think that, I mean, obviously there's a ton of interior linemen who develop into fantastic players. Uh, I th- in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, once they get to school, but do you think that facilities, weight room, resources, does that pay? Uh, does that is that a factor when it comes to developing those interior linemen? I think it is. You have these programs like North Dakota State and Northern Iowa um, that are a, a very different compared to some of these other FCS programs. I do agree with that though because. Uh, the development of your program happens during winter conditioning and during the summer and the guys that are able to stay there during the summer. When you're at an Alabama or uh, an Ohio state, those guys are put up in, in nice dorms. They're pretty much there the entire year, but they stay in their dorms. They are provided with food. They're provided with, with meals and they're taking classes. I remember when I was at the university of Rhode Island, there were a couple of years where I would stay in the summer and, you know, coming from Milburn, like we have the financial background from our families to that they can pay for our food when we're, you know, out somewhere or if, if we're away. So, like, I was able to have no problem to have avail- available food because my, my dad was able to pay for it for me. But there were guys that were staying there that had to take classes. I didn't need to be there. I chose to be there so I could train with my team that literally did not have anything to eat 
for breakfast or for lunch. And they were reliant on if there was just extra food available. And at, at one point, the coaches had to like come in and start bringing these guys food. So that's definitely an issue. Guys can't stay up at 300 pounds if they're not eating. And it's, it's definitely, I think, a big thing that goes into the development of these guys. Yeah, we were very, very fortunate um, at the schools I played at to to have meals and stuff provided for us. So I think that's it's something small, like when you when right. you look at, but like it's something like that really makes a difference in that interior lineman. Like and you it, said, it's ex- it's expensive too to to feed all those guys, which is why these small programs struggle to do it. Yeah, and, and you and I think the Power Five like trying to make this like and even. You know, I don't think you have the I don't think you have the issues with the group of five because you they have similar issues to FCS when it comes to finances. But I don't like this whole like power five only playing power five teams because I think number one, there's there's tons of like recruiting is not an exact science. If there's tons of misses, there's tons of guys who get recruited to power five teams that should be group of five or FCS. And there's tons of kids that get recruited to FCS division two you know, things like that, that should be on power five teams. So give those guys an opportunity to, to show out and, and pl- uh, play against those power five teams. But also they, those power five teams, they pay those group of five and FCS teams. And that's a big chunk of their budget. So that's one of the, that's one of the things that when it comes to the subject of should they have FCS playing FBS, I'm like, yes, absolutely. It's great for the game. It's great for the kids. It's great for exposure. And I mean, how many power five teams are there? Only what? Like there's 16 teams in the ACC, which is insane. There's 14 teams in the big, in the big 10, which is, I listen, Rutgers in the big 10. I'm not complaining. There's a ton of teams, Um, but you know, (laughs) big 10, the 14 teams doesn't make any sense. Um, There's what? There's 10 teams in the big 12. There's about to be eight teams in the big 12. And there's 12 teams in the Pac-12. Uh, have I missed that? Have I missed it? Oh, SEC. I don't know how many teams are in the SEC. There's a crap ton of teams in the SEC. <laughs> but it's what? Like only, I, I think I only named like what? 50 to 60 teams? Right. And and I think that... Uh, there, there, there's more that needs to go around is my point. Like, right. like, like Rutgers is only playing uh, an FCS game because the Big Ten said you can only play one, I think, because they want you to play more Big Ten games. But we need to we need to have these FCS, FBS teams not only for because it's just it's just good for these programs. Like a lot of these programs, correct me if I'm wrong, wouldn't have football programs if they didn't play the FBS schedule, right? Yeah, that that's that's pretty accurate. Or at the very least, that they would have it, but they would be forced to play at a lower level where they could limit the budget more. No, but that's that's 100 percent accurate. That four hundred thousand dollar to five hundred thousand dollar check that you get from going to play a team like that, that is typically uh, for for smaller FCS programs that typically funds a lot of your equipment. I, I remember when we played Virginia Tech, when we got that that check, a lot of that went to redoing parts of the locker room, new equipment, new jerseys, that kind of stuff like that stuff's really important. Like that's that's very, very impactful. I. I completely agree with you. I think it's stupid to completely cut those games out. Not only does it help the FCS teams, but if, if you think about it in the sense where if if you're a team like Alabama, uh, they didn't need to play Mercer last week. They didn't, but it helps them get things sorted out. It helps them figure out some things in their playbook. It helps get some of the younger guys experienced and some of your backups experienced so that when you play 
down the line in the season and guys get hurt, those guys aren't going out there without any reps. Those games are super important for both sides. And I think cutting them out completely is just is just stupid. It, it, it's it's diving into the competition way too much. And once the playoff expands, it, it shouldn't be an issue. If there's 12 teams, there shouldn't be as much competition for those 12 seeds. Well, that's it's funny that you bring that up with the playoff expanding. I think that really would, in my opinion, I don't like the whole, like I said before, I don't like the whole power fives only play each other, this power five alliance. And, and listen, I, I think it's great in terms of like, you know, this team going against this team, but keep the, you know, keep the door open for situations like, uh, you know, Khalil Mack, Buffalo, you know, you don't think his game against Ohio state was like assuring for NFL scouts that he was worthy of a top five to 10 pick, or I'm trying to think in terms of, um, and then I think when you, the, the, this whole conference realignment is just madness with, with uh, Texas and Oklahoma going to the sec. Well, if the playoff expanded and every conference got an automatic qualifier, I think they would think twice about that because obviously you're switching to the sec for what financial reasons, like why else? So all right, well, if we have an automatic qualifier, okay, we're, we're probably not going to win the SEC every year if you're Texas and Oklahoma. So you have a better chance to win the stay there, better chance. You get exposure from winning, getting into the playoff, cha-ching, cha-ching, money, money, money. Everyone's happy. So that's that's my take on that. Yeah, and I think that we're not even close to what this is going to end up turning into with the expansion stuff. I it, It's already getting messy, and I think nobody has any idea what they're doing uh, they're all just trying to hold their hands together and hope that uh, whoever's still standing is is whatever conference is going to be played. And it's going to be one massive conference, it sounds like. it's It sounds like the only feasible thing that is going to make sense if everybody just aligns and then the group of five and the FCS teams get kind of screwed in that circumstance. But it's what's going to end up happening to generate the most viewership, generate the most money, generate the most, uh, you know, the biggest prize essentially to win the national championship is is kind of what's what this is all going to go towards. It's so interesting because it's like, okay, like for example, Texas, Oklahoma, you think they're winning the sec? <laughs> no chance. No, no, not at all. So they're, they're taking away their, their ticket to the playoff, which is, which is interesting in itself, but uh, we got to keep those FCS teams alive. And that's, and those, those games happening at least once a year for the, for each team. And uh, let's uh, now let's get into this Delaware team. So this Delaware team was seven and one last year, right? I believe seven and one. Yes. And okay. they were, well, you're, if you're referring to the spring, uh, I yes. believe that was correct for the record, but they were one of the better teams in the playoff last year. Uh, they were super close to being one of the final teams in the, in the national championship, but they lost a, a close one in the, one of the final rounds to South Dakota state in the, uh, the semifinals, I believe. Yeah. Um, so this team now, this, this is a hot take. This, this question is a, is potentially a hot take. You got to correct me if I'm wrong. You're the FCS expert. Could this Delaware team be the best team Rutgers has played so far this season? <laughs> I, I'm serious. It's a, it's a serious question. I mean, no, I know it is. I know it is because they played Syracuse and they played Temple. I, you know what? I'm going to come out and say yes. I, I you know, they, they're playing pretty weak FBS programs that are, are, are really down right now. I don't think people realize how talented 
are not so much talented, but how difficult to compete with this Delaware team is. They are hard-nosed defensively. They run the ball very effectively. They've got some good receivers. The, Rutgers is, should be more talented on paper, but Delaware is going to come out swinging. This is a game that's probably going to be a lot closer than Rutgers fans are going to be comfortable with. They're probably going to be upset with whatever the outcome is, but this game is probably going to be decided within a touchdown. This is a very, very good Delaware team. So pe- people know I'm not crazy when I ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, I mean, uh, nobody should be thinking it's crazy. I, I think everyone always assumes FCS, it's going to be a blowout. Everyone probably assumed that with Jacksonville State, Florida State. Everyone probably assumed that with Montana, Washington, South Dakota State, Colorado State. I could keep going. There are teams that are, are tough enough to, to stay within a close football game and if you don't come out with your best stuff, they're going to beat you because they have they these FCS teams have nothing to lose. Delaware in this circumstance has nothing to lose. If they lose this game, they remain ranked where they are. If they win this game, they move up in the ranking and, and, and they look they look great. But they're just going out there to to make to prove everybody wrong. When you play in these games, and I remember when we played in these games, I played Virginia Tech, I played Ohio, I played Central Michigan, a game that went into double overtime. We had a chip on our shoulder that was just, you know what? We are going to go out there swinging, and we're going to see what happens. That was basically the, the the thought process. That reckless abandonment from these FCS teams is the reason why they shock teams, uh, typically, uh, you know, from week to week. Now I remember, I remember my soft going into my sophomore year. I transferred uh, right after training. Well, actually, in the in the middle of training camp, I transferred uh, from Syracuse. But we were getting ready for Villanova. And that game in 2014 was a really close game between Syracuse and Villanova. Uh, they had a quarterback by the name of John Robertson, uh, J- Jersey kid, dual threat quarterback, one of the most talented. I think, believe he was the Walter Payton uh, award winner, which is the FCS Heisman uh, equivalent. So does Delaware have any players like that? Let's go through their personnel a little bit. Yeah, so the uh, not necessarily a Walter Payton award candidate, but uh, I point to first their starting running back, Dewan Lee, who was a big reason for their success last year uh, during the spring. He's come back with a, with a fire, and he hasn't gotten as many touches as we saw during the spring, but they're going to ride him a lot. It also helps that that Corey Sproul, his backup, is also a very quality player. He went to DeMatha Catholic, which we know is a very, very talented high school program. At quarterback, Nolan Henderson, uh, he's the epitome of a, a veteran FCS quarterback who has played a ton of games. He, he can make plays with his legs. He tends to be mistake prone. He, he is not a, a guy that is perfect, to say the least. He's not necessarily an NFL draft prospect, uh, but he, he does have a good arm. He can extend plays with his legs, and he can connect with his receivers. And that receiving group uh, is led by Thyric Pitts. And then the, the other guy that... Um, that catches everybody's eye is Gene Coleman. And I very random about Gene Coleman. He has been such a, a big impact player for the Blue Hens, but he was originally on the Rhode Island Ram roster and we knew he was good. And then he just randomly didn't show up to camp, went to Milford Academy, which is a prep school. And then he ended up at Delaware. So that was a big hit and miss for, for the Rhode Island Rams. He was supposed to be a part of my graduating class, but Gene Coleman and Derek Pitts 
very, very talented receivers. Interesting. So I would say the strength of the Rutgers team is the defense. Is this, does this Delaware offense, can they handle our front seven? That's the strength of this team. The, the secondary has really stepped up as well and is becoming a complete unit. Uh, Rutgers plays an aggressive style. They're going to play a lot of man coverage. I guess, how do you see the Delaware interior lineman uh, uh, against our uh, front seven? Yeah, I mean, Delaware has a, a pretty strong offensive line. So, like, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily, um, you know, discount them. They've got a couple guys that were on the, the All-American list as well as the CAA All-Conference list. They've got some guys that, that have some opportunities to maybe get a shot at a camp. So I, I don't think it's going to be a total mismatch with their offensive line. The CAA always recruits offensive linemen well. It's it's not like where some of these other programs where they're at a disadvantage. They recruit guys that can play at, at, at Rutgers and have the size profile uh, of guys at Rutgers. So I think that they'll be prepared, but certainly their offensive line is going to need to play well against Rutgers. Now, we've talked about this before. Depth is a huge thing. You see a lot in these FCS, FBS games. The first half, it's close, and then the FBS team runs away. Is depth going to be an issue for Delaware? Does Rutgers have a chance, if it's close, to run away with it in the second half? Well, I, I think one of the advantages you have with with all the transfer portal stuff and all the time that they've had to, to get prepared, they were off during the fall, you have that advantage of your depth having practiced for so long like they practiced all of last fall and, and they got some games in obviously in the spring these guys are prepared they've got a lot of guys that they can use uh, I do agree that that is going to be super key in a game like this but uh, they're a pretty deep team and they're a very well coached team as well it's interesting I mentioned in our podcast last night um, that you know playing in the spring could be an advantage I mean as a coach it's like what what do you, what tape do you watch? They played eight other games and then they played two games. It's like, how do you, how do you prepare? Did they do something different in the first two games that they did that they, uh, that they didn't do in the eight games last uh, spring. Uh, and physically, you know, they took those three months off. Boom. They probably didn't have as intense a camp. It was probably just kind of picking up where they left off. Yeah. That, that is honestly, I, I think what makes things a bit confusing for preparing some of these teams preparing for these, these FCS programs is the strange amount of turnaround because there's also a lot of roster turnaround where there's just like new faces that got thrown into the mix uh, with, with some of these teams because you bring in all these new recruits, you bring in some of these transfers, you've guys transferring up because they had a good spring. There's a, there's a lot of turnover. So it is pretty tough to prepare for these, these FCS teams that, that played uh, a, a long season during the, during the spring. And do you think that that could be a reason, the spring competition, that there's so many FCS upsets uh, this early in the season? Well, I, I think that partially, but I think the, the definite big thing is the fact that these FCS teams, essentially since the, the 2019 season, that season finishes, they started winter conditioning, they were preparing for camp, camp got canceled. Then they did uh, essentially what was fall conditioning, and then they did a training camp in the winter. They were practicing for so freaking long that there's no reason that they shouldn't be prepared. So the, the fact that they have all of this time to physically develop their bodies, get your, your, your academics in order, and then also just keep going over your place, probably wasn't much regulation on what you could and could do during this time because 
you know, the NCAA was just like trying to figure out how to keep everybody on the field. And there was not really any regulation from them at all. So they've had so much time to prepare. There's really not much of an excuse for why some of these teams aren't doing better. But yes, I 100% believe that's a big reason why we're seeing so many upsets is that they've just they've been practicing for so damn long. (laughs) Well, I think that we're going to we're going to find out a lot about this Rutgers team and their maturity because, you know, Coach Cianos in his press conference, he said they are not taking this team lightly and the chop is back and Rutgers looks good. Listen, I mean, their offense does not look as good as we would like, but based off of last year, they've shown an ability to improve every game. Sean Gleason has proven to be one of the best offensive coordinators in college football in terms of getting the most out of his team. So I think if Rutgers plays our game, we're going to be okay, but we do have to be as fans. We have to be a little concerned. This Delaware team does scare me. Joe, appreciate you for giving us a, a hell of a look on Delaware, man. I think uh, I think fans are going to get a, a really good insight on this team, and I think they're going to be a lot more engaged in this game than they would have been because it's like, oh, Delaware, who's Delaware? Like we're we're going to roll over Delaware. Like right, no, right. no, this is not a this is not a tune-up. This is a legit game. Like we said, you know, this is arguably Rutgers' toughest game. Although, let's give Syracuse credit. I think Syracuse played very, Syracuse played pretty well defensively uh, against uh, Rutgers last week. And, you know, I know Syracuse is 1-11 last year, so it's like, uh, how can you really say that? But at the same time, they are a Power 5 team. This is a team that, uh, you know, does play teams very close. They beat Clemson a couple years ago. They, they typically get an upset every other year, if not every year. So hopefully we can uh, feel a little bit better about that win because of that. But appreciate you, brother. Yeah, of course. And next time uh, Rutgers has an FCS opponent, uh, you can bet I'll be on here. Hell yeah, brother. Hey, you made it to the end, or I'm just talking to myself and Ryan. You stay classy, Piscataway.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.